Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Christopher St. Clair. Well, I don't even know my own name. Chris St. Clair. What's up? That's me. How are you? Great. And I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. This is episode 70 freaking five. We've been doing this a long time. and For some reason, we still can't figure it out. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I didn't realize. So so 75 episodes. Um, I know a few weeks ago we had like a Facebook reminder or Facebook memory popped up of when we kind of like announced that we were going to do it. And um, it was funny to look at some of the comments of people who like wanted to be guests who have definitely still not been guessed yet. 75 <laughs> episodes in. <laughs> so, so we obviously need to be better about that. But um, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy to be recording right now. It's been a crazy two weeks with uh, moving into a new house and getting things set up and also ending ending the month of October which was which was really good for me and um and now just hey we're we're back in the good bottle we're we're 75 episodes in this is crazy people are still still paying attention they're still stopping us on the streets and saying I listen it's insane it's totally crazy yeah I love uh, it I mean it, it's oh. great I love it uh, and I will sign um I need to start carrying a sharpie with me and I'll just start signing people's butt cheeks I'm down let's do it <laughs> I look forward to the first person who actually calls you on that. And we're just like, oh boy, here we go. Um, so what are you sipping on? Oh, buddy. All right. I got this. Uh, I, I actually saw this bottle on my bar and I it kind of blew me away that I hadn't talked about this brand. I don't think ever, maybe, maybe one time, like in season one. And for some reason, it's kind of like falling off my radar a little bit, but it's back. And I really wanted to talk about it. Uh, Wilderness Trail, we did, uh, we did bourbon. Um, this stuff is incredible. Uh, Wilderness, Wilderness Trail is doing really, really cool stuff. Um, there are a bunch of fermentation scientists who work for uh, some of my favorite brands, uh, not the least being uh, Willet. Um, they kept their day job while they were building out this distillery. Uh, still continue to produce uh, yeast and work on fermentation for for other brands um, while they were building this, while they were aging their own whiskey, everything like that. They did everything what I would consider kind of the right way. Um, this juice is incredible. It's it's uh, really lovely. Got great spice to it, um, especially for a weeded bourbon. It's uh, it's definitely a little bit more on the, the fruity side and a little spicier than than um, I, I think a lot of people are used to with weeded bourbons. Um, mm-hmm. but what I enjoy about, uh, wilderness trail, uh, what I find really, really unique and fascinating is that, um, as far as I know, they're the only whiskey, uh, producer, com- like sort of commercially available that produces on a regular basis where every batch of theirs is sweet mash. They don't use sour mash at all. So what's the difference between sweet mash and sour mash? Uh, so sour mash is where, where, um, a prior, prior fermentation, they take the, the, um, all the grains, everything like that, that's been, uh, fermented. They kind of cut it in half. They fold that into the, the new mash bill. 
it helps uh, mm-hmm. helps propagate the yeast a little bit faster, and it keeps a little bit of consistency and flavor from uh, batch to batch to batch because you, your yeast strain stays the same. Therefore, like your fermentation, it's like using um um uh like a, a sour bread starter, right? Like it's the same yeah. Co- yeah. concept. Um, but in the, but in this case, they they find at least their argument is that their their consistency is better when it's all sweet mash. Which is crazy. Like, I mean, it's not crazy, but it's just really cool. I, I don't know nearly enough about uh, fermentation science to argue one way or another. All I know is that sour mash <laughs> is just the way to go for 99.9% of fucking, uh, you know, fermentations out there. So, Right. So instead of this one, this is just a brand new batch every single time. Every single time. I mean, they've got, they obviously really cool. have like a mother yeast strain that they use that they fold it, that they fold in, but. Um, they're not right. using ferment, fermented grains that are folded in. Yeah. So that's like also similar to like a dunder pit in Jamaica. Yeah. Right. Like yep. you're taking some of that previous, previous stuff and throwing it back in. I, I actually really, really like wilderness trail because I do think they're doing a lots of, lots of things different than the rest of the industry. And, um, and I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for it because that is the bottle that I guess blind exactly what the ABV was after tasting it. And so, like, I always think about that when I see Wilderness Trail. And actually, former guest Jared was at Wilderness Trail last week. And I don't know how much I'm able to reveal, and probably not a whole lot. But the things that he got to participate in is going to be very exciting for the state of California eventually. Um, we're going to see some really cool stuff coming out from Wilderness Trail. And uh, it's there's, like, you know, kind of the conventional thought of what you might think it is. It's not that it's completely different and it's wild <laughs> and I cannot wait for people to find out like what it is. But again, I'm not the one who should, who should be sharing what exactly it is. But I do know if you're a wilderness trail fan, you have some really cool shit coming to coming to California. So, so I'm excited great. about that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be super cool. And, um, and I, and I did forget to mention that, that tonight we're not going to have a guest. It was just, there was just too many moving parts and we weren't able to put it together. This it, moving episode parts being, being your whole house, being legitimately my whole house. And, um, and it's been obviously kind of a shit show uh, over, over the past two weeks. And so trying to get all this stuff figured out. So even the show is going to be a little bit, a little bit more unconventional. We're going to kind of do some, you know, some top news concern, considering or concerning Chris's life and stuff like that. And then we are going to talk about, you know, I think arguably what's our most popular topic, hard seltzers. So, you know, got to make, we got to make sure we cover that at some point, but, um, but yeah, we're going to continue to sip on some good stuff. And, and, um, I do have some guests lined up for the next few weeks that, that are, um, that are awesome. And I think I'm very, very, very excited for the next few weeks. Yeah. So in, in, if, you know, people aren't, aren't aware, like I'm usually the one that's in charge of, um, of trying to book people. So if it doesn't happen, it's mostly my fault, but sometimes it is, you know, it is difficult to kind of get these schedules to work out, right? Like we try to record on, you know, later at night, which has now been referred to as like a dad, a dad friendly hour, you know, cause it's like way, hopefully way past I me. Mean, my daughter's still awake right now, but um, you know, we try to do that and it's not always the best thing, especially if we have people in the Midwest or East coast that, you know, potentially could be guests. But, um, but yeah, I think we have some really awesome people lined up. And if you haven't heard of them after you listen to them on the podcast, you're instantly going to be fans because both of us 
are already fans of these people and it's gonna be super fun so just something to something to stay tuned for um and and i and i'm sipping on some fun stuff as well uh as we all know i'm continuing my just absolute obsession with italian wine and so i picked this one up the other day and it was the la macoli and it's a bulgari <laughs> rosso my so, favorite part is just trying to listen to you pronounce anything other than english this is yeah great. it's it's terrible um but this is a really cool red wine. It's a uh, 50% Merlot, 20% Cab Franc, 20% Cab Sauv, and then 10% Syrah. But the way they put Syrah, they put Syrah grapes. You're like, oh, good to know. Didn't know if like, you know, nothing else was listed as grapes, but then Syrah grapes. You're like, cool. Keeping it, keeping it in that one. Um, but it's a big, bold wine. Had it with some, uh, had it with some uh, Italian food tonight too. So it was actually kind of right on the nose. Perfect pairing. And, um, and I just, it, the obsession continues, man. I just can't, I can't get enough of these Italian wines right now. And I'm looking forward to drinking all of them as we continue to go. Although I will say, I find it incredibly hard to learn about though. One, because of the pronunciations. But then two, when you look up like maps of these European countries, like with wines and stuff. So I was, I was doing some doing some research and looking to maybe do like a scotch map and, you know, like a, you know, maybe a rum map and stuff like that in my, in my new house and in my, in my new office. And uh, when you look up like the wine regions, whether it be France or Italy and, you know, or Spain, it's kind of like, like, Oh my God, like these, they don't even make sense. Like there's just so much going on in them that you're kind of like, like, well, this isn't aesthetically pleasing at all. Like I just can't. <laughs> I can't justify this. <laughs> so, I mean, it's um, you know, it's funny as a, as like a buyer, I was talking to somebody else about this. I, I want to say yesterday <laughs> or the day before, but like as a buyer, we were talking about, um, you know, different distributors and, uh, and different importers who specialize in, in very specific regions. Right. Uh, like mm-hmm. Kelly, Kelly Babineau, one of our favorites specializes in France. You know, I, I buy a lot from, um, Oliver McCrum, uh, which, you know, they specialize in, he and his company specialize specializes in Italian wines and Italian uh, spirits and liqueurs. Um, and and if, if you don't really know too much about it, you just sit back and go, uh, like, that's kind of weird, I guess. Like, you have a whole lot of things that you could specialize in or that you could import across the entire globe. But really, it's like there's so much to know in one area. And then getting to make right. those relationships, it's just it's just insanity, you know, like like. Fuck, just taking, I mean, Italy alone with all the sub-regions, I'm terrified of learning. I love drinking Italian wine. I've, I've just barely, like, set foot on the tip of the iceberg with Italian wines. Um, there's just so much known. It's it's pretty terrifying. Well, I mean, I, I wonder for myself because, you know, I, I obviously have a pretty extensive knowledge of – uh, predominantly like you know my two strongest categories for sure are rum and and mezcal right or just agave distillates and then you know scotch whiskey is really kind of is right behind that and then i don't know i'm not not too sure from from that point but but i look at this stuff and you just kind of think i'm like i'm like do i even have the bandwidth to learn this stuff or do i just stay <laughs> yeah. in my lane continue <laughs> continue to mispronounce all of this stuff and and just enjoy it and just drink it you know um, you know, maybe after time I'll, I'll get it more dialed in, but 
you know, cause obviously I didn't figure out Mezcal in one night or anything like that, or just, or in a few weeks. So, but it, it does seem very daunting because it's, yeah, it's this extremely rich history. There's a lot of people who do know a lot about it. So that can also be intimidating for a lot of people too, right? Where it's like, like, oh, there's so many experts. Like what business do I have learning more or like trying to get into that realm? Whereas a lot of the motivation for like me getting into rum and me getting into Mezcal was like, there's not a ton of people talking about this stuff, at least in comparison to bourbon, scotch, French wines, Italian wines, things like that. So it was kind of like, okay, well, here's a way to to differentiate myself is that I can talk intelligently to all these different things that nobody else is talking about. Um, but when it comes to, to the like French and Italian stuff, and it's, and it's been fun to do cause it's been fun to be vulnerable and not have like something to say outside of, yes, it does taste good. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's been really interesting to, to go through that. And, and of course I will continue to do that. And I, and I encourage everybody, uh, you know, when I'm doing my tastings and stuff like that is like, yeah, just keep trying stuff. Keep keep messing with it. Keep mispronouncing it because eventually I'll meet someone who actually knows how to say it and they'll give me the breakdown. Um, but until then, I'm just going to continue to butcher all of these names and but also still enjoy them. So, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Well, I think, I think also, you know, just the more you learn too, you know, the more context you derive from from, you know, parallels, you know, be, I, I oftentimes will parallel uh, Italian wines with agave spirits um, just because you have you have at least a lot of similar trends, even though they're culturally and agriculturally so entirely different. You know, you're looking at varietals of uh, of two different species that grow in multiple different you know, multiple climates, multiple towns across different states where one culture, one group, one community will call, call this varietal X Mm. and on the entirely other coast, uh, an entirely different varietal is growing. It looks entirely different, but they'll also call it X, but then up in the mountains, varietal XA is growing and they'll call it, something else even though it's the same varietal you know (laughs) and so you 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 have to like keep track of all of that as you're going through and talking to people it's it's crazy man it's it's a lot to know but having like having a base primer of just you know a a general understanding of how things operate really allows you to to cross a lot of bridges um and and even if it's not comfortable at first you know you get your feet a little bit wet and then you start you start uh letting the water warm up around you as it were yeah, I mean, I think speaking speaking the language makes all the difference in the world, right? So, you know, you took a very confusing concept and somehow made it more confusing uh, for all the listeners. Um, like math, but yeah, I think I, I think there are a lot of parallels between wine and um, and agave spirits because of all those things that you just mentioned. You know, where you have similar varietals being produced by different people, so they come out really different, and then sometimes they're called the same thing, sometimes they're called different things, even though they're exactly the same. So, it's. Um, it, it's nonstop, but that's also like, you know, why we do this podcast, you know, to yeah. hopefully shed some light on some different things and, and, uh, and drink lots Not of me. fun I'm stuff. I'm trying to make so. it more convoluted as we go. I think I, yeah, made that I mean, apparent. it definitely confused the hell out of me. It's like, I thought I knew what I was talking about. And then you said what you did. And I was like, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so with that being the case, I think it's time for our opinions on, on uh, facts we've heard from reputable sources. So the first thing that we're going to talk about um, is probably the thing that we've talked about I, outside of the tariffs. We've talked about seltzers more than anything on this podcast. And it was to the point where it, it just seemed like every couple of weeks there was something new happening. There was there was new record numbers. There was, um, there was new brands. There was new people kind of getting involved with it. And now um, we might be at the end of that. And we might be seeing the death of the seltzer. And the death it's one of the seltzer. The is, death is it of a the seltzer. death? Is it like? Is it's, it like? The, it's very fizzy. The, the end of when you drop a Mentos into a diet diet Coke. Yeah. At the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. So, <laughs> you know your your market leader for it is is truly truly is your is like your number one, and then I think number two is White Claw, right? Well, Truly is owned by the Boston Beer Company, so Sam Adams. And Sam Adams overestimated the enthusiasm for seltzers, right? And because of that overreaction, they are going to be dumping hundreds of thousands of gallons of fizzy seltzer down the drain because they have nowhere for this stuff to go. And it's it's just really crazy to think about that where it's like you just mismanage this so much. And and it does make sense to a certain degree, right? Because now people are back out, they're going to bars, they're doing these different things and they can actually have like good drinks, not like shitty watered down seltzer drinks and all that stuff is going away. And then if your industry leader is dumping hundreds of thousands of gallons, can you imagine what all these other startups are doing right now? And just the, you know, how much money they're currently losing. So with all that said, and the death of the seltzer upon us. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to that seltzer draft house that they're building in LA Live right now? I think that I think it's going to be a giant. Uh, it, I mean, you think that they're going to renege on their lease? I I think that they're going to keep building it, and they're just going to turn it into a, a a beer tap room. Yeah, and I think that I think that too. I mean, it's funny because my first thought was now it has become like a nostalgic play for them, you know, where it's like a throwback bar. You know, it's like, yo, hey, remember 2020 when we all drank seltzers? That's our theme here. You know, we're a 2020 bar. (laughs) (laughs) You think they're gonna Um, like they'll relaunch like their own version of Zima as like to go along with the the throwbacks? Well, I mean, this, so the Zima relaunch took what twenty years for that to happen. It did, and it lasted all of two weeks. But in those two weeks, they sold a shitload of Zima. That's true. And then, and then everybody remembered that it was not great, and they were like, "Oh, nostalgia cannot completely overcome this." I saved um, one. I saved one of the Zimas. It's sitting. It's sitting in my bar at home, and it won't get open until I find it really a really funny reason to open it. But uh, um, yeah. maybe if like it's a hot Sacramento day, and your AC breaks, and everybody in the household is just like sweating profusely, and then you walk over to the Zima bottle. And you pop it, and then the then immediately the entire house like cools down, 
That'd be really mm. impressive, especially considering that uh, the bottle itself isn't even sitting in the refrigerator. It doesn't have to be. It's a Zima. It is. A it's Zima. always refreshing. It's a good point. But that was one of the commercials. Do you remember that one? I do. Is that just me? Is nope, that because like nope. I'm there with you, buddy? All right. I'm just glad that you picked that up because I was I was about to be really disappointed if you don't remember a commercial that obviously had a huge impact on me. I figured it was <laughs> figure it was either a Zima commercial or a or a, a five bubblegum chewing gum commercial. There you go. It's one of the two. Yeah. It's definitely one of the two. Um so 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 again, we we have these companies that are really starting to um tank and they're just gonna they're gonna kill their overall numbers, right? But is it does it really mean that we'll never like we won't see these things anymore? Or is it just not going to be to the fever pitch that it has been? And then also, I mean, I feel like seltzers and are, are a lot more appropriate in like spring summer, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't seem like something that I'm going to be drinking during the winter. I'm and again, I'm a very seasonal drinker. But what about you? I mean, is there is are you are you reaching for a seltzer right now when no, it, as it's man. getting colder? No, I, uh, I, I like my red wines now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm liking my brown spirits a little bit more. Uh, you know, I want something with a little bit more depth to it. Yeah. A little bit more, more of the peated scotches coming, yeah. coming out. Oh man. I got to tell you the story. So I am in a vacation town, uh, yesterday and I'm, I'm going around from bar to bar and just, you know, having a scotch here, having a scotch there. Uh, went to one spot, had a had the Northbound Wolfburn uh, Scotch whiskey. Got to crack that bottle open for him, which was really nice. Fantastic whiskey. If you guys haven't had it, and then I went to another bar that fancies itself a whiskey bar, and um, I was like, I was like, oh, you know, you know, what can we get for you? I was like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm looking for, uh, I'm just, you know, looking to drink some scotch, and so I'm just looking at what you guys have on the back bar right now. They're like, oh, well, you know, if you like scotch, we have Japanese whiskeys. I was like, oh, that's great. You know, I was like, you know, the great thing about Japanese whiskey is that if you're going to drink single malt, just drink a scotch. Um, and so they were a little thrown off by that. And then um, they had a bottle of, uh, they, had, they had an Ardbeg and they had a Laphroaig. And they were, they were tucked behind the bottles, uh, the front line of bottles. And so I couldn't see which ones they were. Uh, they both ended up being the tens, and so I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm I'm just looking at the Ardbeg and the Lafroy right now as potentially ones to drink, and they're like, oh yeah, well, we have both of those, and I'm like, yeah, I know you have both of them, but you have, I want to see if it, you know, is it the ten, is it the Oa, like you know, one of those things, and then so the bar, so the the manager that was working, she goes behind the bar to like go grab those, and then she's like, oh, and I also have um, three different variations of Macallan, and I'm like, that is true. You you do have that. You do have three versions of Macallan. I just asked you about two peated scotches, and you countered with I have three Macallan. So you know it's it's good to see that the blind are still leading the blind in a lot of bars across America. So um, I thought you would appreciate that. I mean, you'd probably be closer drinking the Japanese whiskey than you would the the Macallan. You might get some actual peat in some of those. You know, if you weren't going with the actual peated whiskeys. So, so the, so the first part of that, and we'll have to see if it shows up in the, in the recording, but it was all like muffled oh, no. and like very robotic. So what was the thing that you said before repeated whiskeys? I'm curious to see if that'll show up in the recording. So you might just be repeating yourself. But for me, I heard like a, like a crazy combination of noises and no real words. <laughs> uh, so what I, what I said was, 
Well, that was a joke, so it's not going to come across now. And now everybody's going to be, you know, what's great about jokes is when you have to explain them. Um, right. Totally. What, uh, what I was saying was that you'd probably be closer to drinking a peated whiskey if you drank the Japanese single malt rather than yeah. the Macallan, because there's probably totally. some peated scotch in there. Mm-hmm. We're making this joke for people uh, <laughs> who might not understand that a lot of what Japanese whiskey that we get in the United States is actually Scotch whiskey. A lot of it is flown is, is shipped over from Scotland to Japan, thrown into a bottle shipped to the U S also Canada. Canada is a big contributor to that as well. Yeah. Malt whiskey. Yep. And, and the, the thing is, and the reason that that's able to be uh, a thing is that there's not really strict Japanese whiskey laws as long as it's bottled and brought to proof in Japan, it can be considered a Japanese whiskey. Uh, and so and exported, not consumed domestically. It has to be exported. What they consume, what they consume domestically is uh, legally different as what's allowed to be called Japanese whiskey versus what's exported. They, they're fine with exporting anything, but domestic consumption of Japanese whiskey is different. They have different laws. Hmm. I love to look into that because I know that definitely applies to like the rice whiskeys yeah. for sure. Um, but I'd be curious uh, to look to look into that further. Okay, homework assignment for me to to find that out because I feel like some of the ones that I work with because they do source from outside of Japan, but they also source from inside Japan too. And so sure. I don't know if maybe because they do that, they're able to also serve it. Because I know that I know you can buy it in Japan. So, well, I, um, I don't think it's so much the the serving. I think it comes down to labeling laws, right? Like what you're allowed to call, and what what mm. uh, language is allowed to be on a label. Right, right. Which is always a fun and confusing uh, racket with whether it's the TTB here or whatever governing council exists yeah. in other places. And TTB just released uh, their their brand new uh, uh, regulations for what's allowed to change on labels too. So we'll drop that link into into the footnotes for this episode. If everybody really feels like nerding out on that, because uh, that is dense and not the most entertaining podcast news, but it is fascinating. So if you're interested in it, I'm going to be dropping that link into our uh, to our footnotes uh, of this episode. And that, and that's one of the things that like. You know, for the people who do do the deep dives on the TTB new regulations, like there's a couple of people that I follow that they'll pull out all the stuff that that I want to know about. And so I don't have to do it, you know, so like um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so like Matt, Matt Petrick from Cocktail Wonk always does that. And like I'm like, he's going to read through this whole thing. He's he's better at that type of stuff. So he'll if there's something that's relevant to my world. He's going to, he's going to bring it up. And I, and I already know that, um, did you, so I didn't click through on the TTB link. Did you click through it? Did you see anything in there that maybe just a one-off that you thought was interesting? Uh, yeah, specifically the part that, that I was able to get through while I had a down moment at work today was, um, talking about the changing, changing of labels and, uh, something that I was surprised wasn't already allowed. And I guess now it is, is, um, Taking the same label, if you want to change your packaging uh, without having to like resubmit paperwork for a new label, it's like taking your existing label and splitting it in half so it's not on a single piece of paper, but on two pieces of paper that was not allowed previously. And now it is. Yay. 
So you can cut your labels in half and make them a little bit bigger. Allow That's a little allow a little bottle mid drift in your in your subtext. So we're gonna we're gonna see some like some like bottle tummies and things like that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Little bottle that piercing. Be nice. That'd be good. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to have the new Captain Morgan Billy Button Midriff flavor. It's gonna be Well, it'll be them or, or Crown Royal. One of them will one of them will take the dive first. That's great. Um Okay. Well, that's some that's some good information to know. I think so. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not the only one who's making moves right now. Yes, I did move up the hill a little bit further into the foothills, and it's been crazy. But Chris, you're also making some moves right now. And just this week, you, or maybe last week, I don't know time anymore, you announced your new business that you're starting up with actually two former guests of the Good Bottle Podcast, Raphael and Buddy. So why don't we tell the listeners what we potentially have in store for us? Yeah, man. Uh, super excited. Yeah, we signed, we signed the lease last week. We just got our we just got the keys to a brand new restaurant. Um, well, it's brand new for us. It's a fourth generation restaurant. Uh, um, it is, uh, you know, I've been waiting for this moment and I, I, I saw it coming, but not in this way. When I first moved to Sacramento, I knew that if I like just played it cool, if I was patient, I'd be able to walk in to a deal for a bar or a restaurant and get it reasonably inexpensively. Uh, this, this bar closed down at the beginning of COVID. They, I think they, they had uh, one final St. Patty's day blowout and then just locked the doors. They just left. There was yeah. a little bit of a uh, personal tragedy that happened, which, uh, which uh, led to that as well, um, which was unfortunate, but uh, the ownership just, locked the doors, walked away and, uh, and it's been sitting ever since. So, um, this bar is right down the street from, uh, my house and Raphael's my neighbor. So, um, we both had our eyes on it for quite a while and I was finally able to get a hold of their, uh, their leasing agent, uh, through my lawyer and pretty much got a bar for next to nothing, man. I mean, it's really, really incredible. I mean, now it, it's going to require some work and definitely some money to make it workable uh because it was embarrassingly bad in there it is embarrassingly bad still um but i'm really excited to take this you know the guts of this restaurant that are um really really solid tweak them clean everything up get a really you know dope group of people in there and um just create a rad like neighborhood spot with dope food and fun booze that just you know transports people to so, another place right so let me let me ask you this and this is something that we were talking about earlier and it becomes it becomes i think relevant for this conversation is you know bringing in rad people to work for you which is continuing to be the biggest struggle that hell not even just our industry but every industry in the world right now seems to have a problem hiring people to do these types of jobs you know and all the factors that we've discussed on this show before, you know, are, are all at play are still at play. Um, you know, going into this, going into this business venture 
in going into this industry that over the past year, you know, was kind of shown not to be as Teflon as we all thought it was, right? Like we always used to joke that the alcohol industry was, it was recession proof because it was like, you drink when you're happy, you drink when you're sad. Um, That is not, that was not the case when it came to a global pandemic. And then the lack of representation for our industry led to us being the scapegoats for everything. Right. And now you're going to be opening up this bar. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, hire the most elusive, um, type of employee the line cook to work in this restaurant you know something that a a position that has always been very difficult to hire is nearly impossible now so in i guess in going into this and having these discussions with both with with buddy and with raf i mean what are what are some of the early talks look like for you guys where you're kind of like okay we're seeing what other people are doing we're seeing what works we're seeing what doesn't work how are you guys going to bring people in to work in a work in an environment? I mean, because like, you know, the bartender thing, I think will be easy for you guys, right? First of all, all three of you can do it. And there's going to be people who want to come work for you guys in that respect. But for like your servers and for your, like I said, your line cooks, you know, your chef and stuff like that, like what's, what's kind of, what, what are some of the early discussions? Be like, how are you going to be different? How are you going to be different from what everybody else is doing? Like, what does that look like for your guys' business? Yeah, it's a really good question. We we are definitely talking about it, and it's been an active conversation, um, and more more so beyond just the acquisition of talent. <clears throat> but for uh, all three of us, um, tr- treating people who work together as if uh, they their time matters and their lives matter um, is really really important to us. We want to be able to take care of, uh, take care of people. So I don't, I don't have a, a definitive answer, uh, yet, but we have, we have the groundwork of some things that we're kicking around. Um, definitely taking, taking pages out of people's book that we, uh, that we respect and whatnot. We've made a lot of phone calls recently and saying like, okay, what are you doing? How is this working? Like, what do you, what are you finding that's working? You know, uh, one of the first phone calls that I made was up to Brian Nelson up at, uh, you know, pioneer. And I was talking to him about his chef, uh, because he was able to get out of the kitchen, uh, again, recently and get behind the bar, which, you know, that's his strong suit. Um, and that, that was big for him. And one of the things that he did, he, did in his negotiations was he gave his chef a part of food sales, which I think is great. I think that's a, you know, typically the way tip outs kind of work in restaurants is um, uh, you you take what you make. Let's say I was a server uh, and I sold an X amount of alcohol and I sold an X amount of food. Uh, I would take, there's different methods for doing this uh, depending on which, you know, which establishment you work for. But essentially, you know, I would take my, my booze sales and I would give, I would tip out the bar a certain percentage of my booze sales. And I would take my food sales and I would tip out a certain percentage of my food sales. Uh, And whatever was left was what I got to walk home with at the end of the day or those food sales, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's what I would, maybe not tip out the kitchen because that's a relatively new concept, but I would tip out, you know, the food runners, I would tip out the expo, I would tip out the bussers. Right. And so they would get, they would get part of those food sales. 
and then the bartenders would do the same thing, right? Like they would, they, out of their food sales, they would then tip out the, their bar back. They would tip out their, uh, tip out their food runner and busters, so on and so forth. Um, so we're looking at it less from a, a employee payment uh, schedule, you know, of let's take this uh, finite amount of tips that people rely on for their livelihood and to pay medical bills that, uh, you know, you know, a lot of restaurants don't offer medical and that's a goal of ours is to be able to get there. Um, but it's probably not going to be a thing that we can start off with. So how do we, how do we not take stuff out of people's pockets? And it, it's looking like we're probably going to end up paying, paying our back a house at least, you know, in a, in a method similar to tipping, but out of food sales, you know, so we just include that in our, in our cost of goods and in our, uh, in our overhead. And so we calculate it and we draw it out across, across, you know, all, all sales and see if that works. That's at least where we're leaning right now. I don't know if that's the, that's the answer, but you know, a mix between, uh, between salary and guaranteed money and as well as bonus money, I think, I think should help at least in the beginning on top of that, you know, um, in terms of drawing people in, uh, who aren't, aren't like the, the figurehead, you know, like a, like an executive chef, uh, the goal would be to get an executive chef who people respect and who's actually fun to be around and who actually, uh, has a really develops a good culture and is known for developing a good culture in the kitchen and doesn't, um, doesn't buy into the front of house, back of house bullshit. Um, which is so typical in every single restaurant and especially restaurants that claim that they don't do it. You see it, you see it a lot. Um, so really finding a chef who cultivates a, a really non-toxic environment who other people want to work for and hope, hopefully, you know, actually developing a strong culture draws people in as well. Let me, let me ask you about that. As I feel, I feel like there's, there's kind of, I think there's a balance that exists within this world um, because, you know, obviously being a chef is an extremely, extremely difficult job, you know, arguably one of the more demanding ones out there. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's, there's the thought process that, you know, kind of going through the ringer and kind of going through that French style of, you know, basically abuse. And, and again, there's, there's the varying degrees of this, right? Like you can push people and you can really, you know, grind them in, you can really break them down to build them back up. But it's like, what does that look like? Like, how do you cultivate, you know, the next generation of chefs? And this is probably something where we need to bring in like a Matt Brown or something like that, who is actually a chef and not just two jack offs who watch a lot of food <laughs> network shows. But, um, but I think, I think it applies a lot of things. I mean, as, as we, as we move forward and we're dealing with, you know, more and more people having to be sensitive to a variety of different subjects and stuff like that. Like, you know, sometimes that pressure that, um, you know, the pain that you kind of go through makes you better. Right. And, I'm not saying that we need to, that you need to be like talked down to and treated like shit, but there are some like, there are some demands that, you know, you need, you need to be held accountable and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, I don't know, is, is there, is there a world where you can still be grinding these people down where, 
we haven't made the culture overly sensitive where we still have the great ones rise from the ashes or, or do we have to just avoid that at all costs? Well, let's take, let's take Mac, Matt Brown, who's a, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, someone who I've worked with a lot over the last few years. Uh, and someone and he's, who the, I, he's the current chef at Golden Bear. So yeah. Golden Bear in Sacramento, if anybody wants to go and he was and on be chopped. blown away and he was on chopped. Um, right. If you want to, if you want to go and in, in, uh, be blown away by um, just amazing food in a setting that you're not expecting, that's the place to go. Yeah, so, amen. Um, yeah. So if you haven't been to Golden Bear, go from one of, you know, go, go there just to eat and then, uh, and you'll see why Matt's amazing, but I'm sorry, go ahead. What, what were we saying about Matt? One of my favorite, uh, things that I first learned, uh, that I first learned to respect about Matt was that he's not a yeller. I mean, he will, if, if someone pushes him that far, he will yell as anybody will. And as anybody should, you know, it's fine. But Matt, Matt's strength really lies in, uh, being the disappointed dad. Um, and, and, uh, so when people fuck up in his kitchen, you know, he is calm about it. He talks to them about it and he gives them multiple, multiple chances to fix it. Right. Uh, he doesn't jump down people's throat. He doesn't go all Gordon Ramsay on fucking people. That's, you know, good for TV and horrible, horrible for someone's actual mental health. Uh, and no one should work in a kitchen that's like that. I just, you know, not only should people not work in a kitchen that's like that, no one should work in a restaurant that has a kitchen like that, nor should anyone go to eat in a restaurant that has a kitchen like that because you're everybody then is subject to that abuse and that's bullshit and no one needs but to what do if that. The, what if the food is really good though? No, fuck that. You can go find dope food somewhere else. It's okay. Yeah, but if it's like, I'm already there. <laughs> well, then... Fucking order another bottle of wine and strap in for a show. I guess I don't know. I yeah i i, I get what, i get what you're saying. I mean, I think that you know, especially as you have like a lot more of like these open concept kitchens, right? And when you have these guys who there's nowhere for them to hide their anger, and they're just like chewing people out in basically like in the middle of the restaurant, you're just kind of like you're like, well, this sucks. Like this isn't fun to be around at no, all. No, it's the most <laughs> awkward know? shit, and like. <laughs> And then, and then if, if you're the server in that situation, you have to like constantly apologize for that. And people look at you like, like you're a beaten puppy. It's awful, man. Like it does a it does years and years and years of mental damage. I mean, it's just like, it fucks up your psyche. It's all bad. And that's not healthy. And a lot of that comes from being overly exhausted, working too hard, working on next to no money, a lot of cocaine that keeps you running, a lot of booze to balance out that cocaine, a lot of weed to balance out both of those. I mean, it's it's a very, very toxic environment that gets started from the beginning. And it it's, it's this concept of chefs being like, well, I did it. Look at me. I'm fine. It's like the right. same, same argument right. of like hitting your kids. It's like, well, I was hit. Look at me. I'm great. You know, like it's, yeah. it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily add up, you know, but if you, if you, if you approach employees and coworkers, like they're fucking adults and that they're selling their time to a business, just like, you know, people sell produce or people sell booze to a business in order to make other money off of. And you respect that act, that, um, 
that part of your business, I don't honestly, even just what I said is revolutionary and it's, it's pretty insane that something so basic is so revolutionary. A lot of owners and a lot of managers don't view their talent even in the same uh, value spectrum as their ingredients, which is crazy to me. And I could say that from a lifetime of experience of being treated as being literally worth less than lettuce or salt shakers. So there's yeah. got to be there's got to be a middle ground. And I don't necessarily have the the perfect answer for it, but I know where what it's not. Right, right. I think that, you know, one of the things that that we've talked about, you know, on the show before, too, is that you have a lot of you have a lot of owners and a lot of a lot of managers that are kind of getting buried right now. And there's also like a certain type of person that this industry attracts, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot of great people. But there's also a lot of people who just don't like to have a whole lot of responsibility, right? And they want to have a good time. They are going to be living paycheck to paycheck. And that's totally you know, good for them. And so one of the things that, that we had, you know, in our pre, in our pre-show talk was the concept of, of giving away stuff at the bar. Right. And what that does to ownership and stuff like that. And I was talking with a, with an owner um, earlier today, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, before the pandemic, you know, he would have, you know, these bottles that would be consumed. And then you go to check the sales records, like, well, okay, you guys didn't sell a single one of these and this bottle's empty now, you know? And then now you're coming back to me. It's the, it's the hardest, it's the hardest time to run a restaurant ever. Um, and you were stealing from me. So like, how do I bring, how do I bring you back? And what's that line? Cause like, you know, sometimes what'll, what'll end up happening is, you know, bartenders will be given like, you know, a nightly tab, right? Like, Hey, you can give away X amount of dollars or something like that. But, um, you know, there are places that I go where, you know, it's like, man, like, like they just gave free shots to everybody at the, at the, at the bar top and it's three o'clock. Like this is, this is only going to get, going to get worse from here. I mean, where's the, how do we find that balance between, you know, those employees that don't have as much at stake as the owners do. And, you know, we continue to, to kind of villainize all these different people. Um, I mean, you know, remember Brian was dealing with that from, from uh, uh, Tahoe right as well, here. where he was yeah. like, yeah, he's like he's like, dude, I'm I'm offering these people twenty five dollars an hour to clean dishes, and I'm the asshole. Like, wh- like, what's I don't I don't get it. Like, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do in this in this position, you know. Um, and I do think that we need to have start having more of that conversation as well, where it's like, you know, it's like, hey, there's a lot of people that have been getting away with murder for years, and this is not an easy industry to be in, and it's not just the fact that managers or owners are out of touch but it's also that like they've experienced this kind of stuff you know employees stealing from them you know no no call no shows and and things like that you know and i think that those are other factors where everybody is just so jaded at like from like different angles right oh yeah and it's just oh yeah and that and that makes the tough part because like you know when you guys open up this place um you know, hopefully you'll have people on board who who care about it as much as you guys do. But that's always the hardest part to get, right? It's like if you can just get someone to work for you for work work for you that gives a quarter of the shit that you give about that bar and restaurant, then then you're in a good spot, right? Right. You're in, you're in a good spot, yeah. and yeah, that's if just you can get someone, that's, if you can get someone who can like 
show up and actually do work, that's a great place to start. <laughs> that's that's half yeah. of it right there. Yeah. Right. Just just the warm body. You know, it's like, oh, good. You have a pulse. Like, let, let's get in here. Um, I don't re- I don't remember where I'm going with that, but I just think well, that it's important. When we, like to- when we first started talking, well, one of the things we were talking about and you, you brought it up was the, you know, like giving away shots uh, at the bar. You know, and there's definitely a there's definitely a gray area to this. Um, I was um, reminded of a point in time in my career where um, I stopped doing it altogether. Like I just I didn't give away a single free shot. Didn't matter because um, I just got really really. I was working in a bar. Uh, it was a neighborhood bar. Um, the clientele was extremely um, entitled. They felt like they owned it. They felt like they they had more pull over what happened in that bar than I did. Um, mm. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. Pay for everything. I don't care. And uh, probably about two months, three months of that went went down. And uh, my boss called me in one morning and and sat me down. And she was like, hey, like I'm going over these reports, and I noticed that you're not ringing in any comps. Like, what's what's the deal? And I was like, well, honestly, fuck them. Like, like they have to pay for all of them. You know, I'm not, I'm not pouring anything for free. I'm not doing it. I was like, uh, I was like, I'm making everybody pay for everything. She's like, I honestly appreciate that. But, uh, she's like, it's part of my business plan. Like you gotta, it's just part of the culture. You gotta give some stuff away. It's what people expect. It's part of drinking at a bar and being a regular at a bar. It's the, the perk that you get um for investing time and money in a place she was like i definitely don't want you giving everybody everything um mm-hmm. but you have to give somebody something and that's the way that conversation ended she was like you are officially being told that you need to give away at least two to four shots a night i was like oh, that is so okay. weird yeah she's because she's like you know it's just it's part of the culture you have to do this in order to get people to stay in their seats because they feel invested they feel like they are welcome and they get this she's like don't give it all to one person don't give it on their first drink you know like basic bartender one-on-one shit but, um you know she's like you have to do it i don't i don't care yeah. if, if they don't tip you on you have to do it and i think the issue that comes on, on the flip side of that coin which is a lot of bartenders will then take that money that they like, you know, they, they, someone, you know, pays cash for a shot of, of you know, Jack, you know, so it's like seven bucks for that. And then they leave, they leave three bucks. So they throw a tenner down. They say, keep the change. And then that bartender just takes that 10 and throws it in the tip jar. They don't ring in the seven bucks for the Jack. Right. Like, and that's where it starts getting, that's where it starts getting dicey. And I, yeah, I know, was- I'll be completely, transparent when i was early in my career and i worked in a place that i fucking hated i definitely did that you definitely did that (laughs) you thief you rat bastard thief well um basically what 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 i'm trying to tell you chris is is good luck on your new bar sounds like it's gonna be great (laughs) i know i'm not i never said i was the smartest (laughs) guy i just uh you know we got we got um really lucky and uh i'd be an idiot not to pull the trigger on this and i've got amazing partners who are down for the ride um who also see the value in it we're really excited yeah uh buddy's one of those guys that he um he actually helped me move a little bit last week which was really really amazing like anybody who's willing to help you move is is obviously a special person and 
Um, and then, you know, Rafael is, just, is obviously one of the most talented people that we have in Sacramento. So, um, so definitely, definitely surrounding yourself with the right people. And it'll be really cool to, you know, hopefully everything comes to fruition. Uh, you know, these things can be dicey at times, but um, we'll put out all the good vibes. And if anybody wants to know more details, just reach out to, to Chris and I'm sure he'll be willing to share. I think there's, yeah. you guys already set up. Did you guys set up any social medias yet? Yeah, or? I got a, I, I set up an Instagram account. So we're uh bodega underscore Sacramento. We'll make it real easy. So the name of the bar, uh, the name of the restaurant is going to be bodega. Uh, and uh, that's what you get right now. That's it. And you, I mean, there's going to be cats everywhere, right? Everywhere, everywhere. Cats, bodega cats Fucking for everyone. F- Fucking finally. That's like, <laughs> I know we've, we've talked about it before, but like the Bodega Cat Instagram account is like definitely a my thing. favorite. It's definitely my favorite thing. It's well, so, so as someone who grew up in uh, in New York and and Raph also being from the East Coast, like like that's Bodega Cats are definitely a thing. And like he was we were joking about it and he was telling a story about how uh, the bodega he used to go to had a 22 year old cat. Um that uh lived at the bodega and the cat's name was l and uh the i guess the the cat had been in the bodega longer than the owners had been and the cat was part of the lease like they like that is amazing they had to take the cat with the bodega there it's i just i love any place that is able to incorporate their animals like into their business so um you know there's that there's the bookstore on k street that always has like the dog in it yeah um, yeah which is super great and then um one of my favorite wine shops newcastle wine shop he has a cat that hangs out in in there which also gives me a tremendous amount of anxiety because as as a cat dad and who has <laughs> three of them um you know cats are dicks and it's also like it's like one of those things is like oh my god like that cat's gonna knock over all these bottles and think it's hilarious so um well well again really excited hopefully there's some cats yeah just but don't put any like time. expensive magnums up on top shelf for that cat to fucking yeah, knock yeah. off don't do that you're asking you're asking for trouble i think it's time to i think it's time to move on to our favorite segment you know who's dope them over there okay so now we've had the most like sporadic and random episode of all time um it's time to talk about our favorite segment which is the dope follows and this is where we're going to tell you who you guys should check out it could be an instagram account book um the list goes on and on of all these different fun things that we're going to recommend to you so chris who is your dope follow this week Oh, mine's a fun group of guys called the Basement Gang. Uh, they're on Instagram. Uh, it's at Basement Gang, all one word. And it's three friends who just dress up in different things and do silly dances. And they've got a big, big uh, neon sign behind them in someone's basement. It's one of their basements. I don't know. Maybe they're all roommates. I don't know. Maybe some of them are brothers. I don't know. They're great. They just do stupid dances and they dance around and they are fun to watch. And that's it. It's just a feel good thing. And I felt like this week we all need a little bit of feel good. So go check them out. Basement gang. I'm here for it. Let's go in. Um, mine is also a feel good account. Uh, so I don't know what that says about the state of our, of our psyches <laughs> right now. Um, but it's an Instagram account and it's called delightful news. Oh, and I like delightful it's news. just, and it's just a collection of like feel good stories and, and things like that. So 
if you um if you need to pick me up you should definitely check out uh delightful news it's funny because it's just like the head the headline on it is like daily good news and you're just kind of like well that just sounds really really pleasant and then um <laughs> you know it just it just has like all kinds of like cute uh pictures and memes and just uplifting stuff it's uh it's really 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 fantastic and i enjoy it um immensely so so check out delightful news and then also i think we talked about this a couple weeks ago but um i'm still working my way through and a bottle of rum the audio version which you know i've read this book three times but this is the first time the audio version it's so much fun and it's so much it's so great to to uh to revisit that book through the audio form because it's just kind of like it's like hearing it for the first time you know in the, in this sense where, Even though, where like, are you this- getting that uh where are you getting that stream from so it's on audible audible heard i didn't i didn't i didn't find it on um on the apple uh audiobooks but i did find it on audible and like i somehow had like credits on there which i was very confused by and nice. i was able just to redeem some credits on audible and i got it for free um so so i i know i mentioned it a couple of weeks ago but i'm still going through because it it's it's just a very long it's a long book um but uh but check it out because it's 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 super fun and really really good the music for the book good bottle podcast is orchestrated by the Moore brothers and produced pretty awkwardly by these two guys before we go kill this bottle that we've been drinking we ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode please subscribe leave us a five-star review uh you can also follow us on instagram or facebook at the good bottle podcast and share us shares with your friends shares with your loved ones we're good listen right and if you want to be a guest let us know because obviously we need more guests um and then uh you can also follow us on our personal accounts mine is d garrison six chris is kristen flair you can also support the podcast by visiting our etsy shop or um you can go to anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast and give us money that way if you would like for us to cover a story or if you are working with a brand that wants to be featured please email us at goodbottlepodcast at gmail.com and you can also pick up these bottles that we've been drinking at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers, baby. I got nothing clever today. That's fine.